All right. Well, good morning to everyone. Glad that we can all be here uh, together. If you happen not to know it for some reason, perhaps you're a guest with us today. Um, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the, the church. And I, as um, I have the chance to preach this morning, I want to offer an installment into the sermon series that we have had sort of running in the background here for about the past year. Uh, Pastor Levi has been stepping us through a sermon series on the Holy Spirit or elements or uh, matters related to the Holy Spirit, kind of as Pastor Brett has been taking us through currently uh, the book of Acts. Uh, but this morning I'm going to offer uh, my voice, offer an installment to that series in the, uh, related to the Holy Spirit. So and uh, today I just want to make the simple point, pretty straightforward here this morning, nothing too complicated, nothing I think probably we haven't heard before, but good to be reminded of. And I want to make the simple point that we need the Holy Spirit, not just for power to do things out there, outwardly, power from the Holy Spirit to do outward acts of ministry, outward acts of love, but we need the Holy Spirit inwardly as well, to empower us inwardly, especially to feel that God loves us. We need the Holy Spirit to feel God's love. I mean, you, you know the difference between um, uh, something like honey. You've probably heard this example before. It's something like that's sweet, like honey. You can read about that. You can have somebody tell you that honey is sweet. Very different experience than actually tasting honey for yourself. And now you know by experience that honey is sweet. You feel the sweetness of honey. Something happens on your insides uh, with regard to the sweetness of honey that you cannot know just from reading about it or being uh, told about that. And we need the Holy Spirit to empower us uh, with regard to God's love in that sort of a way. The Holy Spirit empowers us to feel God's love for us, to feel it by experience, um, um, I think. Uh, not just to know God's love for us um, kind of in our heads. The Holy Spirit gives us power for love in, in that regard. So I think we get that in part from Ephesians 3. So if you would open your Bibles with me, please. You can open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, we'll pray and read here in just a minute. Um, uh, We'll be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. Um, and after I'm done praying, that, that passage will be up on the screen as well if you happen not to have your Bible. But let's please pray and uh, we'll read. Lord, um, thank you for the chance that we have to be together this morning. And I simply pray that you would open us up to receive from you this morning um, what you will. Um, have your sovereign way over our lives this morning and teach us, um, fill us, help us, um, move us um, in all the ways. Build us up, challenge us, encourage us in all the ways that you would choose to do that through this message now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. This is uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. This is a, a, a prayer from Paul. It's labeled in the ESV Bible here as a prayer for spiritual strength. Um, so let's, let's read here. What is Paul praying for and why is he praying? Um, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Um, now, a lot going on there in that passage. A lot of details that we could press. Um, uh, a lot of things we could work through. This morning, I simply uh, want to draw attention again to this idea that it is the Holy Spirit himself who empowers us to know that God loves us. The Holy Spirit himself empowers us to know that God loves us. And by that, I don't mean that we have sort of this, again, kind of a head knowledge of some information about God's love for us, some information about maybe ways or ways that God loves us or ways that God acts uh, toward us in loving ways. But I mean that we need the Holy Spirit in order to truly experience deep in our bones, feel that deeply that God loves us. And that is that God feels love for us. God doesn't just act on us in loving ways. God himself is feeling emotional love for his people. And out of that, he acts in love. He's affectionate toward us. He has affection for us. He delights in us. He is desirous, or he is affectionately desirous of us. Um, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says that there is a distinction to be made between a mere notional understanding, wherein the mind only beholds things in the exercise of a speculative faculty. Okay, there's a difference between basically what we can sort of think about in our mind, and we just see something there, we know about it, and the sense of the heart, as he calls it, wherein the mind relishes and feels. Okay, and Edwards would say that, that it is the role of the Holy Spirit, or one of the roles of the Holy Spirit at least, to give us that sort of feeling and relishing God. The Holy Spirit's role is to do that, relishing God's love. Um, in other words, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is essentially to empower our taste buds, we might put it that way. The Holy Spirit empowers our taste buds. He empowers our emotions. He empowers us to feel and to enjoy the sweetness of God's love for us in Jesus in ever-deepening ways. You might think about um, uh, pictures of something like the Grand Canyon. Here's a picture of me uh, six years ago or so at the Grand Canyon. Hard to see uh, in this light. But I got the chance to go there a few years back and if you've been to the Grand Canyon, I'm telling you, uh, pictures do not do it justice, right? There is something about getting up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and what you just feel in that moment, let alone just seeing it. But you see it, and that, that sight just sort of pulls something out of you, and you, it's like you're pulled out into this massive expanse, and it's just wonderful. Um, great, great memories of, of uh, being there uh, again, some six years ago. But just thinking about a picture like that, looking back on that, you know this. I mean, pictures just cannot possibly do this justice. There's something very different than looking at a picture of this Grand Canyon 
and standing on the edge of that Grand Canyon and not just seeing it, but really feeling uh, the, the, it's like the presence of the Grand Canyon. It's remarkable. There is a knowledge of the Grand Canyon that surpasses knowledge. There is a knowledge of the Grand Canyon that just surpasses what we could uh, know by just reading about it in a book. There's an intimate knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's, it's very subjective. Uh, it's very personal. And again, it goes beyond what we could ever read about. I think we, I think we get that. Certainly, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, um, you, can, you can get that. And I think that that really is the meat of the nut of what Paul is uh, praying for here in this Ephesians passage. It is that the Holy Spirit would empower us to be rooted in an experiential knowledge of God's true, affectionate, emotional love for us. It's that we would feel uh, beyond knowledge or that we would know beyond knowledge that God does in fact feel love for us. Um, Ephesians 1, you could think of Ephesians 1 verse 4. It says, it says this, it says that in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of, will, of his will. In love he did that. Okay? Ephesians 2. Um, of course, Ephesians 2, we're, we're, um, we're uh, separated from God. Um, we are dead because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion, because of our lack of love for God. But then Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ." Uh, Christ, by grace you have been saved. Or Ephesians 5. So a lot going on here in Ephesians with regard to the love of God. Ephesians 5 verse 2. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So just uh, taste those verses. uh, Feel that. See in those verses that it was because of God's great love that he has done what he's done for us um, in Christ. Because of his great love, because of his feeling love for us, it prompted him to then act toward us in loving ways. And of course, the, the, the most amazing way that he's done that is in the cross of Jesus. That's the most foundational way. Um, that's the most um, amazing way. It's the most proof positive way that he has acted toward us in love. So Romans 5, 8, for example, God shows us shows his love, rather, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I just want you to see there, that, that see that God is showing his love there, okay? He's, he's um, displaying his love in the cross. He is, um, he, he's acting in a loving way. And again, that's the, it's the most proof positive foundational way to show, to prove that he does love us, but just don't miss here that he is showing his love. He's, he's making a loving action in Jesus going to the cross. He's, he's displaying that, but that's got to that's gotta come from someplace. Where does the act of love come from? It comes from deep within God, in God's inner being, in his actually feeling love. He has the emotion of love for his people, and therefore he acts toward us, his people, in Jesus, in loving ways. And again, we need the Holy Spirit to feel that. 
There's just no way we can think up and just choose to decide that God loves us in such incredible ways that he would do what he did. We, we, we cannot just decide that we're going to think that's a great thing. That's the Holy Spirit. It's one of his major roles is to stir that up in us, to feel that. Um, Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says this. Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says there that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. So God's love has been poured into our hearts. Uh, Think of our hearts for just a second. Our inner being is another word for it. Um, Our heart, it's the center of the center of the real us. This is the center of our will, the center of our desires, the center of our emotions. This is our inner being, uh, spiritual being, our soul Uh, as apart from, say, our outer being, our our physical being. And God pours out his love into into that, into that soul, into that inner being, into that heart, through the Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit uh, for God to do this. We simply cannot know beyond knowledge. We can't know this knowledge-surpassing knowledge of God's love for us apart from the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do that. And so Paul prays here in this passage, verse 16, he prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And then in verse 17, we see the result of that. Namely, um, verse 17 again, it says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then verse 17 continues, it expands, it helps to fill out what that kind of means Um, And he says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so in other words, the prayer here is for faith in the love of Jesus to progressively dwell deeper and deeper into the furthest, deepest parts of our being. Faith in the love of Jesus permeating every room in our house, so to speak. And, and, and it's, it, it is that our, our faith in Jesus would be just ever more a faith in the love of Jesus. Not just, the, not just faith in Jesus, but faith in the love of Jesus. So we'd be grounded, we'd be rooted in love. Not just faith that Jesus has acted toward us in loving ways, but faith that Jesus actually loves us. There's, different, there's a difference there. It's subtle, but there's a difference there. Um, it's, it's growing faith in Ephesians 2.8, which I think I read earlier. Because of the great love with which he loved us, Jesus did what he did for us. It's a growing faith in that. It's a growing faith to believe uh, Roman, uh, Ephesians 2.8, that it's because of the great love with which God loved us that Jesus did what he did for us. It's pretty remarkable. That's, the, I think, the rooted and the grounded in God's love here that Paul has in mind. And the prayer here is that our inner being, our hearts, would just become ever more anchored in God's love for us. It's that, that, our, that our hearts, which our hearts are really the roots, they are the, our hearts are the foundation of who we really are, our truest identity. And it's, it's, so it's, it's a prayer that our, the roots of our hearts would, would sort of tap into the nourishment and the support Um, of the feeling that God has for us of love and how he has acted on that then. That it would be, that our hearts would would tap more deeply into um, knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. 
Um, and that in mind, remember what Jesus says about our hearts. So Luke 6.45 and Mark 7.21, um, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, Jesus said that it's from within, out of the heart of man, come, and then he lists all sorts of uh, behavior. So the prayer here, again, is that the Holy Spirit would uh, give us power uh, so that in our hearts um, we would have power for our roots to be just ever more enmeshed in the love of God, which will in turn then produce out of this heart that's rooted in the love of God, would produce love for God and love for other people. That's what we're, we're getting at here, really, with this, this prayer. And speaking of, of love for other people, um, uh, don't miss, actually, the, the real communal slant to this part of, uh, of, of Ephesians, to this passage. Um, I realize I just read a little section of Ephesians, which is a, a book of several chapters. Um, and I don't want you to miss the communal, the church community slant to this. No doubt... Uh, uh, Paul has individual Christians in mind when he's praying here? Of course. He's praying that individual Christians would have hearts that are rooted and grounded in um, this love of God. Absolutely no doubt individuals are in mind. However, it's not just individuals in mind, and it could be easy to miss the communal slant here. In fact, um, this, this prayer um, at this part in Ephesians, it sort of, it comes in this context where Paul just prior in, in chapter two has really been stressing uh, sort of the unity in the church, especially across ethnic lines, across Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Christians. And he's making the case that, that um, the, the church now is the people of God. And the people of God now is, is, is a part of anyone who would come into uh, uh, faith in Jesus Christ. So, so it does, it's not based on our ethnicity, and he wants to see unity across these ethnic lines. And then it's in this context here that he, uh, that he prays this prayer. So Ephesians 2, uh, verses 14 to 15, uh, Paul says that he himself, uh, talking about Jesus, is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace, the peace between Jews and non-Jews. Um, and he says that he's made us both one. And he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, and so making peace. And then in, it's, it's sort of rolling off of that context that Paul has this prayer here in Ephesians 3. And so part of his aim is that is that we would, we would understand the, uh, how huge God's love is, how expansive God's love is, that we would understand the scope of God's love to understand that it includes people from every people group on the planet. It's not just an individual thing. It's just not an individual ethnic group thing. It is uh, huge enough to include people from every people group on the planet. And I, I think that's actually what Paul is getting at in verse 19 with this sort of a four-dimensional description of God's love, this height, this depth, this breadth, this length, this four-dimensional um, love. I think, it, I think it has to do with grasping how huge and how expansive, how inclusive um, God's love is for all uh, people from every people group um, on the planet. And it will take a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit to really fully comprehend that. 
Uh, I mean, we can, we can affirm it on paper. Uh, it's another thing to, to feel that, to know that in our bones so that there is no hostility uh, between people or between people groups. Um, and uh, so the Holy Spirit's got to move and help us in that regard. And the more that we do comprehend that by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit, the more we do, then, then the more hostility between people groups um, will, in fact, be ripped down. Uh, racial bias, bias of any kind, any kind of we, they, uh, preference or discrimination will be ripped down peace is ushered in to the degree that we comprehend this incredible uh, love of God. To the degree that we don't have that kind of peace, it's to that degree that we don't get it. We don't understand God's love the way we think we do. We don't get it. We don't comprehend it. Um, But the Holy Spirit, uh, God is gracious through the Holy Spirit to help us slowly get this and comprehend. Um, And as we do that, we will actually experience, to a much greater degree, the fullness of God. Often when we think about the fullness of God, experiencing the fullness of the presence of God, we can think in very individual terms. Like, we're going to go off on a mountaintop someplace, and we're going to connect with God, and it's going to be this awesome, full experience. But the context here says, no, no, fullness of God, we don't have that apart from community. We don't have that apart from peace in community. We don't have that apart from peace, especially across ethnic lines. Um, in fact, back in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1.23, Paul says there that the church, the church, the people of God, is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Catch that phrase there, the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of him. And now here then in, in this Ephesians 3 passage, um, verse 19 again, Paul prays that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so um, uh, he's using this phrase from one chapter to, to another. And so just see there the inextricable connection to the, to the church community if we are going to experience sort of the, the deepest fullness of God. There is a communal thrust to it. The fullness of God is experienced in the church, particularly when the church is unified across ethnic lines, and again, really across any, anything that might potentially divide us, any lines of difference. And so the Christian life is not, um, or, or the, the, the pursuit of sort of feeling the fullness of God is not about um, sort of going and getting away alone um, uh, and being a hermit, kind of having a hermit-like existence. Now, of course, getting alone is good. We see a clear example of that in Jesus. He got, alone, got away alone often to be with the Father alone. But the fullest experience here um, for the people of Jesus is, is going to be uh, inextricably connected to a life with the church, sort of a, a living life together with a people among whom hostility is broken down in the flesh of Jesus and for whom Jesus really is our peace. And so just bear that in mind here that, that one aim in Paul praying here. Um, for us as individuals to be rooted in this incredible love of God um, is, is that we would then um, be fueled to love out then other people, especially people um, in the church, especially others in the church um, who are different from us. And that can only be experienced, that can only be tasted if we will 
um, have the, the help of the Holy Spirit. That the only way we'll feel that as a community is if we first feel that as individuals, and then that pours out into the uh, community. So um, bear in mind, just feel this as an individual this morning, but also um, feel, feel this as a community this morning. Feel God feeling love for you um, as his child. And again, just don't miss the communal uh, piece to it. It's very easy to look over that as we're seeking the full experience of, of uh, the presence of God. So all of that said, we're going to kind of move us toward a close here with just some bullet point, um, nothing exhaustive here, but just some bullet point um, implications, application um, of, of this of grasping uh, the love of God, having, uh, being, having our own hearts rooted in this sense that God loves us. Um, what might be some implication and application of that? Number one, um, again, nothing exhaustive here. You can come up with your own list, but I've just pulled together a few points. Number one, um, understand your identity. Your identity. I mean, who you are. At the very core of yourself, who do you understand yourself to be? I mean, at the core. And you would look yourself in the mirror and you ask yourself, who am I? Who do you understand yourself to be? Well, if you're turning away from your sin, if you're turning to Jesus, to trust Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin, to trust him alone for favor with God, to trust him alone for the love of God, then that is evidence that in love, as Ephesians 1 says, in love God predestined you to be one of his kids. In love he predestined you to be adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. And so, who are you? Well, if that's you, you're a, you're a loved child of God. That's who you are. You're a loved child of God. You're not just somebody um, for whom God does loving things, but God actually loves you. He's your father, and he loves you deeply. A um, couple verses that just sort of help us celebrate the love of God a little bit and how he feels for us. Zephaniah 3.17, um, a familiar passage to some. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's a great picture to think of our God singing over us, rejoicing over us. Um, Isaiah 43, verse 4. Listen to God say this to you if you're in Christ. He says, you are precious in my eyes, and you're honored, and I love you. Isn't that amazing? You're precious in my eyes, and you're honored, and I love you. It's really amazing. So one application, simply just know that, remember that, um, and, 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 and let that sort of bring focus to your sense of personal identity. I mean, man, let Isaiah 43, 4 focus your sense of personal identity. You're precious in my eyes. Uh, You're honored. I love you. This is what God says to you. Another application. Um, Be careful about thinking either too highly of yourself, on the one hand, um, with regard to God's love, or thinking too lowly of yourself, on the other hand, with regard to um, God's love. Either one of these are really a ditch that when we fall into them, it, it sort of blocks our uh, ability to really relish um, the love of God for us. Um, so in the one ditch, be careful not to think, well, how can God love me? I mean, I'm just a wreck. I'm a complete failure. Um, I try to please him, but I've failed again. 
I mean, there's just no way that, that God even could love me. Okay, that'd be one ditch. Um, on the other hand, another ditch would be to say, well, how could, God not, how could God not love me? I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not claiming to be perfect. Who, who is claiming to be perfect? I'm not claiming that. Um, but, I mean, compare me to somebody else. I'm not that bad. And in fact, I am a pretty likable person. I'm, I'm pretty lovable. And it's kind of God's job to love me, right? That's what God does. So there's the other ditch, okay? Either, you know, totally unlovable or, yeah, actually pretty lovable. And both of those are ditches that um, will sort of uh, block really relishing in the true love of God for us. Um, Both of those sides fail to believe the real gospel. They fail to believe the real gospel of Jesus. The, The gospel, in fact, says that on the one hand, you are far worse than you could possibly imagine. You are worse. Think of how bad you are, you're worse. That's a part of the gospel, the bad news side of the good news. You're far worse than you can imagine. You're far more undeserving of God's love than you can imagine. You're far worse. But on the other hand, the gospel also says that God is far more loving than you could possibly imagine. You cannot fathom uh, how, how loving God is. And though Jesus needed to die for you because of how nasty you really are, Jesus was glad to die for you. He, he died for you out of his overflow of love for you. He, he was glad to die for you. And you're more loved, really, from God than you could dream. You're not outside of his reach, okay? You're not outside of his reach. The gospel of God's love through Jesus, it, it sort of um, helps us to, like, um, uh, pop our bubble on the one, side, on one hand or maybe fill up our bubble on, on the other hand. Sort of depends on... Uh, What's the condition of your bubble? Um, um, if, you're, if you've got sort of an expanded uh, uh, bubble here that, that is like expanded with an overestimated sense of self-worth, well, God's love will pop that thing. He will pop your bubble and he will say, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about the fact that you're lovable. It's about the fact that I'm loving. I am love. That's what it is about. It's not about you. It's about me. And if maybe our bubbles are maybe a little bit too small, uh, maybe because of an underestimated sense of of self-worth, well, God's love might fill that up. And God would say, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about how unlovable you are. It's about the fact that I am love. And so we we can twist it and make it all about us, very self-centered, but this is all about God. This is all about the fact that he is Love. And if we sort of miss over into one of those ditches, um, get self-centered, become the focal point of all of this, then we can block the full experience of uh, God's love. And, and both ditches, again, misunderstand God's love for us in Jesus. Both will keep us from being ravished by, uh, by the love of Jesus, by the love of God. Um, another application. Be controlled by God's love in whatever you do. Be controlled by God's love in whatever you do. Um, so one passage to note on this, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. Paul says there that the love of Christ controls us. 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so uh, there you, you, you notice that Paul's aim is to live for Christ. He says elsewhere in that chapter of 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our aim to please God. So he's, he's aiming to live for Christ and not for himself. And of course, that aim should be uh, the aim for all of us as Christians. We should aim to live for Jesus. Um, that really should be the descriptor of the, Christian, of, the, of the Christian. What's a Christian? A Christian is somebody who lives for Jesus. Um, not just somebody who goes to a Sunday service or this or that, uh, knows some things about Jesus, reads a lot about Jesus. Um, uh, I am a Christian or I live for Jesus. It's kind of a different dynamic there. Um, a Christian is somebody who lives for Jesus. It's a challenging uh, thought, really. Um, I say I'm a Christian. Do, who am I living for? What am I living for? Um, and, but, but notice Paul's aim there to live for Jesus is coming up from someplace. It's coming from a heart rooted in the love of God. He says that the love of Christ controls him. The love of, tr- of Christ has mastery over him. Not Christ has mastery over him. The love of Christ has mastery over him. So it begs some challenging questions for us, I think. Um, in what is your heart um, rooted? What controls your heart? Um, I think that to the degree that the, the, the roots of our hearts are are enmeshed in the love of God, his love for us, it's going to be to that degree that we love God and we love others and we bear God-pleasing fruit. So does the love of Christ control or have control over your life? Um, Again, not just Christ, but does the love of Christ have control over your life? Um, Paul Tripp says that whatever controls our hearts will control our responses to people and situations. Whatever controls our hearts will control our responses to people and situations. And, and um, I think that if that's true, if it is, then again, it, it sort of begs challenging questions of us, I think. It, so again, just think of what's ruling your heart. Is, is your heart ruled by the love of Christ? What, what most influences your heart? Is God's love for you most influential or is somebody else's love for you more influential? Is your love for somebody more influential? Your love for some other thing? What's most influential? What's, what's ruling um, your heart? Um, well, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to move us ever more deeply into being controlled by the love of Christ. Where the love of Christ is the most influential um, force on us. We need the Holy Spirit to be empowered to more deeply, um, uh, just ever more be deep, deeply be rooted in and ravished by this love of God for us in Christ. And as that happens, out will come humble, uh, selfless love for others. Like First John, a uh, passage that many of us know, we love because God first uh, loved us, or we love because God first loved us. And so again, just an application point here is that we would, like Paul, by God's grace, be controlled by the love of Christ. So praying that, that the Lord would 
help us, would empower us, like the prayer of the passage here, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to evermore be controlled by the love of Christ. Um, And that's going to be important, again, because I think that all of our life um, sort of flows out of this. All of our life flows out of the rooted and grounded, the rootedness or the groundedness of our heart. So what are our hearts rooted and grounded in? Um, All of discipleship in Jesus, um, really how healthy we are generally, how healthy we are um, in our thinking, how healthy we are in our emotions, how healthy we are in our conduct. And of course, all of these are are tightly uh, knit together. That's all going to flow out of a controlled heart. So the question is, what controls our heart? Our hearts will be controlled by something. Is the love of Christ what controls us? And then number four, just a final, uh, final application point here. Um, and that is simply that we would pursue community. That we would pursue community. Again, just remembering that the church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. And so part and parcel of an experience of the fullness of God is going to be an experience of his love to and through his people. Uh, And so, simple application is to pursue the church community. Um, Be be an active part of it. uh, Love and be loved. Give and receive. uh, Know and be known. All right, I'm going to close there. Uh, Again, just wanting to emphasize pretty straightforward point today. Again, hopefully fairly simple, not complicated. Um, uh, love is not just a verb, as the saying goes, but love is an emotion, and actually God feels love for us. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to sort of feel that from God. Um, like I think Jonathan Edwards, again, would say, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is essentially to empower our taste buds, to empower our emotions, to help us to feel the sweetness of God's love for us in Jesus in just ever-deepening ways. Won't happen overnight, um, but over time, progressively just growing in that. Um, The Holy Spirit sets us on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's one of his roles. To set us on the Grand Canyon of God's love and to help us be swept up into that and then overflow that into love for God and for love for others, especially others um, in the church. So let's pray. Lord, uh, I just want to ask that you would do that this morning. That would be my simple request in light of the word here. Um, I pray with Paul that you would um, empower us by your Holy Spirit in our inner being so that we, we really would um, uh, know beyond knowledge, have a knowledge that surpasses knowledge of your love for us and that that love would motivate um, loving action Um, loving action for you as we live for Christ, Um, loving action toward and for others in the church especially, but also love for the community around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.